Oh lordy. Oh lordy. <coughs> I'm gonna have to edit out a lot of coughs this week. Uh oh. Yeah, uh, I don't mean coughing. I'm coughing. Oh my lord, I'm coughing. Oh my lord, I'm coughing. Right out into you. Dennis, my friend, happy uh, hour. It's been two weeks since oh we've my, seen each other. My, I missed my, you. Yes, you were you were detained in a bar in Croatia. I was I, detained in a resort hotel in Croatia. Oh, right. It's not the, quite the same thing. Yes. Yes. I remember the description. I would say that it, it bears repeating, actually. The uh, saunas and the hot tubs and the splendor of it all. Yes. And the beaches and the cool, the cool blue waters. And yeah, and the open cocktail bars, which is a danger always. Right, because of your propensity to over, over, overdo alcohol. Well, I mean, bottomless mojitos. Uh, oh, God. It's like, what's going to happen? But yeah, it was, it was great. It was so nice to be with humans in person again. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. and the conference organizers did a really amazing job of making sure that everyone that came into the conference had either a European vaccine certificate that they had their two doses or a negative COVID test that morning. So what happened was once we were all inside that barrier, we could be together more or less without masks as if it was normal life. And it was such a pleasant shock to be, you know, face to face and you could see people's noses again. It's like, what? So that was just fantastic. And I was with like the other speakers at the conference are all friends slash heroes of mine that are very high in our in, in my field and it's just fun to hang out with those people like one of the guys like invented this framework that i built like 10 different websites with 10 years ago or whatever like he was the guy that invented this way of building websites and to just sit with him and, and pick his brains and talk about how what he's learned since then and et cetera, et cetera was just super interesting right right and with mojitos in hand yes and this was like in some conferences you have your morning talks and then the lunch break and then your afternoon talks and in the at the break and during the morning talks there's a coffee break and then the breaks in the afternoon talks there's a coffee break but no at this conference like once you got to lunchtime it was like free beer <laughs> so it so it was it was a good time was had by all and it was it was fun and how many days it was a two-day conference uh-huh. and days, two days. i was i went there were two nights of after party. Two, two sleepovers. No, I went the, so the conference was Tuesday and Wednesday, and I flew on Sunday evening. Why? But hold on. But I arrived at midnight at an airport that was a three-hour drive from the resort location. So I arrived at the resort at 3 a.m. on the Monday morning, and so I had all of Monday to, like, decompress and get my mind together. Yeah, right. And, like, originally they wanted to fly me out that but 24 hours later so like I would arrive at 3am and then the conference would start like the next oh morning oh my god and I was like no 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 that's very thoughtful of them yes but anyway and my the opener of the conference is by far the most famous person that was there who clearly deserved to be the opener but I got lucky enough or because there was a situation where some of the American speakers cancelled at the last minute because their companies due to COVID denied external travel and so the organizer reached out to me and said hey 
we've had some cancellations. Do you know any European speakers? And I named a couple of my friends that I've met at, met at other conferences, and they got invited and they accepted. Oh, so, no shit. So I think... So you had a hand in the, uh, yeah, in so the agenda. I, That's really great. So I think due to that, they rewarded me by moving me to the starter of the second day. Oh, my. So that's like a huge, what time? a huge honor. Okay, so this is the crazy thing. So apparently this conference, like when, when the MC first came on at the beginning of the conference, he said, look, we've been doing this conference for 10 years. We are famous for conferences of having amazing after parties. And we learned after the first couple of years that we can't start at 9 a.m. We can't. So we start the conference every day at 11. Oh, my God. <laughs> because their after parties go until two they've learned that they need to start their conference at 11. So, isn't that something and so there were many parties or because there were so many people there yeah so the we had so normally with these conferences they have what's called a speaker dinner where the night before usually it's the night before yeah. the con the night before yes. the conference all the speakers have dinner together and we get to chat get to know each other so that then during the conference we're we're friends and whatnot but here they didn't do that they had two speaker dinners the evenings after the two days of the conference huh. so we would go to these free like you're like you're at a wedding you can pick up and, and put stuff finger in plates food. and finger food stuff and and so that's what they did how many people speakers there were probably like 30. Huh, it's a small crowd. But, right, but then the the actual after party where the in where the attendees were invited was elsewhere in another place. Sure, and so but the first, not one party, but several. And so the first night after our speaker dinner, again, this was the place with the open bar. I went. The speakers, some of us went towards where the bar, where the real party was, and we got close, and there was just this like coming out of the place where the where the party was, and I was like, I'm speaking first thing tomorrow. I'm gonna go back to the hotel. Thank you very much. And so I did that. Some of the others stayed. I don't know how much, but anyway, what what happened to me was the following morning, my morning to speak. I woke up early because you're nervous or whatever, and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna re I'm gonna rehearse my 30 minute talk one more time, and I, I I was there in my so one trick that I've learned, any conference speakers out there listening, one trick that I've learned is to build a podium in my hotel room. So often I will take a chair and put it on the desk in the hotel room so that I'm standing in front of the podium. And I started I started practicing and very quickly I realized, oh shit, like my voice is cracking and I've lost my voice. And I was like, oh, fuck. No. And, then I, and then I thought, okay, let's see. Oh wait, yesterday I spent the entire day with interesting people in my industry and I probably spoke more than you have 500 times than I have in months with, with people and animatedly. And so... I realized, oh shit, okay, I need to not practice anymore and I need to go. So I, like, I went down to the, to the right. breakfast buffet and I drank like a liter of, uh, of orange juice and I went and I took, I found the table furthest away from everybody so I wouldn't be tempted to speak to anyone. And I spent that morning from 8 a.m. until my talk just being quiet and trying not to speak to anyone. Uh -huh. and, it, and it worked. It, um, yeah. I was did able you, to. Did you do anything else? Did you have a lemon drop or a honey drop or a vitamin C or a gargle of a salt water or a... No. Anything? I did not. Nothing. When I, Orange when, juice? Yeah. When I got to the venue, I sat there quietly by myself. I don't think right. you would call so it. So did they? Did that make everybody think you were pretty weird? No, because I got there earlier than everyone else. So it made uh, sense you were there alone? Yeah. But anyway... People my, would speak to you and you just look at them benignly and smile and nod. That would be it? Yes. I would. Yeah. Trying to be sage and uh, wise. So at what point did you take your mask off? There was no masks in the venue. Once you got to the venue... No, I, I meant your full facial mask. Oh, no. That was... I had that on the whole time. Well, you don't really know what I look like. Good. 
But no, but the, the, the crazy thing about this, this venue was that unlike an auditorium where you're, there's a stage and there's a crowd of people, this was a fucking basketball stadium. So where, like, where there's 360 seating around me. It was only seating, let's not go crazy, it was only seating on the floor with chairs. There were stadium seating around, but there was nobody in there. It wasn't so you weren't 360 audience? Yeah, it was. Three. Yeah, yeah. It, and there, was a sta- there was a circular stage in the middle and then 360 around me. People. People, yeah. Huh. And, but like, you had a lavalier, right? Uh, a, a thing that, you know, a TED Talk mic. Walk, could walk around. I walk around a lot. But I don't. And like part oh. of my talk was that I needed to be standing at my computer typing like I was doing like some coding live in front of everyone where they could see the screen of what I was doing, which is not conducive to like walking around and being like but I did my so best you, like, to have a computer around your neck like one of those cool like, piano guitars everyone everyone suggested that you're not alone of imagining that you had a, a sling yeah or, or like the, the people that beers or popcorn at the baseball stadiums where you've got this like right table in, on your belly that you could right. type no you could put a, a little symbol on it and a little can that you could knock with a little drumstick right you could wear little bells in your fingers. It would I, be. I won my band. Yeah. So anyway, I I was I got up there and I did my thing that I had well rehearsed, and maybe like it's been a couple of years, but maybe for the first time, it felt just. I think I glimpsed what performers talk about of where you're nervous before you go on stage, and then once you get on stage, it's like yeah. you're in, you're where you need to be. You're there. You need you're right. And I for the first time, I think I felt like I was there. Like the way the audio was, I didn't hear. Sometimes the speakers are set up in such a way that there's a slight delay and you hear yourself a half a second oh, like, from the speakers, yeah. and that fucking sucks. But this was, I didn't really hear that. I could tell that they were hearing me, but it, I didn't have that. And it was just uh, marvelous. It, it felt good, and my jokes landed. And huh. it, and uh, you, were, you didn't tell jokes. You said you, you were funny. You said right. some funny things. You didn't tell any jokes. No, no, I wasn't. You were joking around, but you didn't tell jokes. I learned a long time ago not to tell jokes at a public speaking event. I was speaking to the uh, Sheriff's Association and told them a joke that no, none of them liked. And I, I should have thought that I came into the event them not liking me in the first place. So there's no reason why they would be in a chuckly mood. <laughs> but then, to make matters worse, after they didn't laugh... I tapped the microphone and I said, is this thing on? And I looked over at the host, the sheriff who was sitting next to me, and I said, what'd you do? Feed these guys chicken and mashed potatoes for lunch? Mm. Which I thought was pretty funny and more silence. Yeah. that uh... It was a long... It was a it was a long speech cut short. I'll assure you of that. I think any stand-up that... Any stand-up comedian that has to use the is this thing on... Uh, knows that they are, you know, deep trouble in deep shit. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, it was a lovely event, and however, yesterday, so like a couple, I was fine after I came back, and then a couple of days ago, I, I my throat started to hurt in the same way that it hurt that morning, and so I've been coughing and my throat hurts. And yesterday, for the first time since I ever heard the word coronavirus, I had a little bit of a fever. I was like, fuck, but. I haven't had a fever since, and I think I'm going to be okay. But and here you are. I have this apartment to quarantine. On, in. You're drinking your your red, your Irish red. It looks like to me. I gotta. I, I have to protect myself. So, what has happened in your world in the past fortnight? Oh well, there's been a lot of wonderful weather and a little bit of rain. Same when you need it, and so my construction projects continue. I built. I sent you a picture, I believe. 
but I'll send you the final product of the barn doors that I rebuilt. These are eight foot by four foot doors, two of them. Yep. And they were all jiggly jaggly crooked from years of sagging uh, hinge in the wood deteriorating. And the way that the guy before me adjusted was that he cut a pie-shaped wedge of wood and nailed it onto the top of the door so that the door where it had gone lower was just taller with this obvious nailed-on extra board. And then the other one was crooked as well. So I ended up leaving, taking out some rotten wood that was there. But by creating a facade of brand-new wood that was applied straight as an arrow, I was able to make it look straight even though it wasn't and because it has an indented panel in the center of it is a frame door wood i cut away what became the excess border of the panel so that i straightened it by looks only and now when you look at the door it's absolutely level to the earth but it's not really and painted it a vibrant yellow against a brown border trim with the panels which are 37 inches square in the center of the door. There's a big panel of, of external number five wood that makes it appear like you've got five inch pine boards, but that's 37 square. That is burgundy, the same color of the trim of my house. So they are shockingly uh, nice, I think. Yeah, you sent me in, as is your way of doing, you sent me a, a photo that was like, 11 megabytes or whatever. Well, I don't, I, you say that every time, but I, I just take a picture with my camera. I'm not doing anything. I'm not making decisions about what to send you. I'm not yes, deciding. Clearly. Care. So it went, I saw every want, grain of. If off, if offline, you want to explain to me a better way to send you stuff that's not so large, do, but know that I'm just. I'm just a boy. I just, what? <laughs> I'm just a boy sending <laughs> fence photos. I'm just a boy trying to be friendly with another boy. So you shouldn't be critical of me. I'm sending you nice pictures, and, and you're, you're pissing on them a little bit. You're saying they might be okay, but they're too large. And it's snide. Yes. Thank you for your, huh? uh, thank you for your graphic gate sharing. That sounds insincere at best. You're still the snidely whiplash. You're still bemoaning. You, you, listen, Eric, quit it's... bemoaning, okay? Bemoan. Okay. Just, it is. With your pillar that looks like half a pillar. In the background, it's right. wigging me out a little bit. You used to have a shot that your pictures were behind you in your new office. No? Yeah, but then we took... I used to have guitars back there, too. In your office? In here. In there, right. Well, no, in, in my office. old office, I had not pictures so much as framed degrees, but which always will make you look smarter on a Zoom call. But They didn't here, make you act any smarter. No, it looks smarter only. It's, it's clearly... You, you actually, you don't now or ever have looked particularly smart. Smarter. It's a low bar. But the. Uh, but so yeah. we were. We had some discussions on where to hang the guitars. I want to hang guitars back here. I want one on each side of the column. Yes. And my wife was like, can't we just fit two there on one side of the column and then something else on the other side? And. I agree with that. With what? Your wife. The problem with that is that they're not. They're then not interchangeable. Like the exact guitar that you hang has to fit exactly there with the other exact guitar in order for them to like not bump into each other. Oh, and the way Where, that you're... Whereas I want one that is over here and uh -huh. can fit any guitar and another one that's over here and can fit any guitar and such I can change Smart. out okay. which ones are my... I'm active. with you. I'm with you. Okay. I'm, I'm glad I've got you, you over the side. 
Okay, You've convinced me. As long as we're, as long as we're clear against, that my wife is wrong. I've gone against your wife. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to tell her that, but it's, it seems to be. Okay. You turned me against her. Honey, Dennis agrees that you're wrong. Okay, so that what is today? what we're up to. Today? Uh, Fat tire. Fat tire. I have a extra special bitter. Ooh. It's hoppy. That's an IPA. No, it's a bitter. Huh. Is it a wine? No, it's a bitter beer. Bitter from the hops? That's what bitter beer is, right? That is the characteristic of IPAs. Yeah, but it's you can have a like a bitter like a Guinness is a type of bitter, I would think. It's close. Guinness is sweet. Not bitter. <sighs> okay. Hey, feel free to disagree, Mr. Taste Bud. You don't have to appear disgusted. I think you should probably, no, I just, I think you should probably I don't, drink don't a couple more of those. All right, here. You're not having much fun yet. There you go. Chug, chug, chug. We have to do what they do at the bars, right? One, two, three, drink. Yeah, because that's the way to get to intellectual conversation. Yeah. Fucking hey, right, man. I sent you a TV show that you had already started watching. Uh, oh, wait, yeah. hold on, wait, hold on. Should we do that first, or should we go to your Australian one that I've watched a little bit of? No, let's let's start with where you started, because this okay. is an interesting thing. When I had seen the preview, I didn't recall the date. And so when I found it on my, my screen, I was elated, and I it was late, so I knew that it was going to be posted the next day, and it was. And after I watched it, I was I literally had my phone in my hand to send you an alert I have to tell you about this. But I put my phone down and I thought, he has so much fucking homework to do that he doesn't need another thing. I'll surprise him with this. How nice of you. That's. And then what happened? Tell the rest of the story. And then you, being the kind-hearted maverick, the producer, I must say, the producer of the show, you said two of the greatest stars and... Oscar Isaac and... Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain. And, And I wrote you back and said, yes, episode one was i don't know what i said for sure but amazing you wrote back and you said you seemed a little indignant you said what you watched it before i assigned this <laughs> you know was that was the tone you, you filthy uh, do-gooder student that yes so anyway i have since watched the first episode it's the only one out so far as we are recording yes. this and wow it it's in fucking intense so for, I wanna, for anyone that's ever been married or in a relationship, it's like... So tell fuck. me about your reaction to the opening. The Where she super was nervous. the actress Jessica Chastain walking into the studio, walking, talking, going through the hallways, sitting down in the room where the show began, and someone clicking the scene sign, right. and the series began and never look back to the fact that we were witnessing the complete breakdown of the third wall. Fourth wall? I only saw three. <laughs> I, I left one behind me in case I needed to escape. Fuck, I did not... I was just so open to whatever it was going to be that I didn't notice that, that walk-in. For... I've never seen such a thing in all of my years. It's And this is what's astounding about it and why it's important for you is because you forget that two seconds later when she is on camera and in character you never think about it again i didn't i haven't Here and I but there's something that i want to uh, post to you because you're seen it so recently you remember this fast forward to the scene the surprising scene 
where right after the bedroom scene where they decided to, to have another child, that it jarringly went to him being late to a, a clinic where she was going to receive an abortion. And that scene... Very jarring. That was like, what the... We went, I don't know, a month or two in the, into the future or maybe less. I don't know. It was, it was soon afterwards. They, but here's the thing. I want you to imagine this, what she looked like sitting on the, the examining room yep. table. Behind her, a glass wall of light. Yes. Of a cinder block light, a cinder block glass where, as a lighting. And she was dressed in a very soft blue gown that had puffy sleeves. It's very detailed, yes. And at one point, I looked at her in that image and I said, you're the Blessed Virgin, and you're talking about killing Jesus. Because she looked like the spitting image of the Virgin Mary's blue, the light blue of her gown was unmistakably the same blue in the color portraits of the Virgin Mary. Wow, Mother. Catholic dog whistling that no, just I went want over you to my hang head. On. I want you to hang on to this a second. You have that image. That scene ends with her asking Isaac to leave which he does in his hesitating, of course, whatever you want way. And she bursts into tears, and she takes the white sheet that was at her legs. Yes. Prior, it was just on her lap, because her feet were dangling, yeah. her torso and the gown were all showing, but she had in her lap a sheet that she dropped down to cover her feet, and then she pulled it over her head. And when she pulled it over her head, she was the spitting image of the famous statue in the cathedral of the Blessed Mother holding the dying Jesus, Whoa. which is all done in white alabaster. What, the Catholic? This is... None of that went through my head. But, but you get the imagery. I'm aware that, yes, a, a woman dressed in blue. Michael Lovett. Yes. So The sculptor. Wow. Of the, it's, what's it called? The Peter Maria? The sculpture? No, no, but the, that's amazing. I'm I'm always fascinated to learn that other people, and this happens to me all the time, where I get references to things that my family doesn't. We, on a let's go on a brief tangent. There's this amazing TV show. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's got so many nominations. Called Ted Lasso, that's on Apple TV Plus, which you probably haven't seen because you don't have that. But they, the first season was just amazing and they come back with the second season and of course their the expectations are really high and they they had an episode the other day that was where the main character referenced I like to think of I like to think of life in terms of in terms of rom-coms romantic comedies and that entire episode almost every single line was a reference to some famous romantic comedy and as I was watching it with every line I was like oh shit that's that oh look at that oh, and my family would just was they weren't aware of it Right, it's like with so many things. There are the Simpsons or whatever is like, and a lot of Pixar, of course, is all for adults, but pretend it's for children. But that's very interesting that you caught all of these Catholic. That's not to say that I caught anything. It's just to say that was my feeling about it. No, but like, I can't imagine that you're alone. Like I, or, uh, or maybe you're in that case, and nobody else is thinking like this. So who knows? I'm not sure that that's particularly fair to to say that because I have a certain observation that I'm possibly mentally ill or insane. So that's what you're suggesting, you're or a, are you suggesting you're a unique more thinker. to the point that because you know that I'm somewhat insane, that you just assume that is part of what's feeding this 
No, I would love to believe that the creators were seeding these references such that viewers brought up in a tradition such as yourself would latch onto this. And but what what I've never heard of in all of the talk of religion and abortion and stuff, I've never heard anyone like say, "What if Maria aborted Jesus?" Like, well, that's so kind of a wild. This is premise. This is possibly what's happening, and the director very well might have intended it. What's driving me? And the father right is very Jewish, right? Yeah. The, the Oscar Isaac character is like, I'm oh, although I've left my faith. He was orthodox, yeah. which was stunning to me that in some way he would be able to convince himself that it was okay to have an abortion like this. I was shocked at that. And in fact, my shock was, shall we say, rewarded with the fact that when he went to go get his the Pepsi, it was very clear that he was not on board at all. No, exactly. Not on board at all. And it's driving me nuts that the name of the, the, name of the sculpture is escaping me. So let me do something. This is a sculpture um, of... Mary, Virgin Mother, holding the dying Jesus at the foot of the cross. Do we know the... It's in the, it's in the Vatican, Mike, Michelangelo. La Pieta. La Pieta. What did I say? Pieta Maria. Yeah. Yep. I see it. So you're familiar with it, and now flash on that scene. Am I right? She wasn't holding... No, she was holding a her lot stomach. Of the, right, she and was a lot of the Pieta is, is like where it's Maria holding a dead adult Jesus. Yes, true. But at the let's not get uh, caught up with exactness here. The point <laughs> is metaphor. she was holding her stomach, which it, she was holding her where her uterus is. Uh -huh. And so she was, in fact, holding her child, depending on how you might consider that. Which I imagine as. every single woman that gets an abortion probably does. I, I don't know, but I would imagine the same thing. I don't think I should even speculate as to what that feels like, but I would think so. I would tell you this, that it would be something I would be thinking of. Right. Uh, I think. But the, 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 the establishment in the first episode of an astounding amount of tension that never lets up for the entire first episode. There isn't a lot of joy in the first episode. There's a glimpse, there's a hug. Otherwise, it's all tense. It's tense about this fucking interview. It's tense about what happens afterwards. It's tense about the dinner with the friends. It's tense about their individual conversations, the baby waking up. It moves from there into the next scene and the next scene and the next scene. And it closes with her crying under the sheet, the white sheet. It's It ends on an astoundingly desperate, Melancholy. sad, sorrowful, foreboding, tension-filled, what the fuck is going to happen next? What happens next is addiction to this thing. Yeah. So marriage, basically. <laughs> How long have you been married? Uh, thousands of years. Easy, Rodriguez. <laughs> no, actually, related to this, my sister-in-law, who's been taking some like self-improvement courses, we found this sort of a uh, guru it's he immediately raised all of my this seems like a scam sort of hackles at first but i agreed to take this it was like eight hours one saturday this it's not marriage counseling but it's this sort of uh course where we and like 50 other couples signed onto this zoom call where there was this guy that was explaining uh 
the the ways to look at your relationship and how to deal with with conflicts and stuff and he's a little bit this is all in spanish by the way and he's a little bit he's a little bit too charismatic like the kind of person that steps right up to the camera and, and is okay i'm going to tell you now a, a truth about the world and like as someone well, that as as someone that understands like psychological motivation and stuff like he's using all the tricks like he knows what he's doing he's was he's, he overbearing no, and he's actually he he does a good job of being vulnerable and talking about his relationship with his wife and and his with his ex-wife and how his ex-wife left him and why she left him and blah 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 but like all of my understanding about psychology I minored in psychology and my father's a psychologist and I read a bunch of modern you know, psych, pop psych books and stuff. Everything that he said, like, jived with my understanding. The general, his basic message was, look, the only thing that you can control is how you react to what is going on around you. Uh, you can't change your, you can react to what they do with a sense of, uh, one, one of his one of his thought technologies that, he, that I thought was really interesting is that our brains are designed to protect us in the savannah from, like, shit that attacks us. So as, any, as soon as anything comes at us, our brains are like, oh, I'm going to defend myself from this. And that if you can take a moment to, like, try and avoid that and feel deeper in yourself, like, some of that metaphor breaks down. But anyway, it, it was very interesting. And what really came out of that, so then he, like, asks over the course of these eight hours, like he asks people to volunteer to talk about what they're going through. And it was our first, so some of these people are like, I don't want to say cult members, but like they're fans and they like, they subscribe to every one of his courses. But it was our first time and we didn't volunteer, but we watched a lot of other people volunteer and they talked about, because it's like a private space, right? Like he's recording it for his own purposes or whatever, but it's more or less a private space and we don't and you don't know any of the other people. Like they're all other people from other parts of Spain and it would suck. And is it voices only or do you see their faces? Oh faces. It was a, a Zoom call. And That's huge. And he did How many people? There was like fifty people. That's a lot of pictures, man. But he, also, to his credit, he did this amazing thing where he, like, he has this sort of like home studio setup where he has a huge TV behind him where he's got. I don't know how versatile you are with Zoom, but with Zoom, you can either uh, set it to show a gallery of everyone that's uh -huh. on the call, yes. or you can set it to show the current speaker. Yes. And he instructed us to show only the current speaker, not the gallery, so we couldn't see everyone else. But what he did was when he was the speaker. He had behind him a TV showing all of us in the background. So it was clear that it was super real time because, like, he would be talking and I could move my hand over here and I could see me behind yeah. him move, move the hand. And, but anyway, we, so these people would share their stories. And, man, it, what it's, later I told my wife, it's like when you go to have an operation or something and they have you fill out this form of, do you have a heart condition or do you have a kidney condition or do you have this diabetes or do you have this or do you have this or do you have this? And checking no to all the boxes. It, I never feel as healthy as I do when I'm saying, this is the list of all the shit that I don't have. <laughs> and it felt very much like this because some of these people have some really deep fucking issues in their marriage. And he helped them. Like he, he worked through these things with them. Right. Right. And it helped us who have a very healthy marriage. Again, there's never such, there's no such thing as a perfect relationship and there's always, you know, room to grow, but it's, it was very interesting. So I got a question for you. Yes. Did you consider at any time telling the joke you told me once and just interrupting and saying, I'm, my wife has left me. She said uh. that I'm paranoid. Oh, oh wait, she just went to get coffee. That you could have done that. I could have. Could she, was, she was beside me on the video feed, but yes. But still, I could have had her go out to actually go get coffee, <laughs> and then be like, "Honey, you, honey, I gotta get me something to drink." And she wouldn't even know it. She wouldn't know it till now. That sounds. It was uh, an interesting pretty, uh, thing, and I don't know. There's a little bit of the self-help world has 
what it has going for it is that you're never going to reach the finish line. Yeah. So well, they, it's, they well, have built well, into it. The f- when you die, one might argue you have, in fact, defaulted over the finish line. But right, exactly. So yeah. So anyway, like there's it's same with uh, fitness or any fucking thing. Like you can always be more fit or more healthy or have a better relationship or whatever. But anyway, this so this TV show brought that into. I I was feeling the TV show through the lens of this of this Experience. list of. Like list of tools for for dealing with when your partner does something that upsets you, and I think it would be amazing if I don't know. Okay, I remember in my high school one time we had this we had this I don't know it was a one time thing where they where they all invite they brought us into separate groups into these different classrooms or whatever, and they taught us like this was in my boarding school where there were some conflicts with roommates or whatever. And they taught us these things of to bring up a thing that bothers you, you need to use what they call I statements. That's what they call them. The, my favorite term now is it's an unfalsifiable sentence. Like it, it is for sure true where you say, look, when you leave your underwear on my pillow. I love it. Can you do it? Again? I burst out. So you say. Oh, God, it's funny you use the exact opposite of what you did say to your roommate. That's hilarious. You're trying to, you're trying to, you're trying to take me up a different angle as if I don't know about your obsession with your all your prior roommates' underwear. The only complaint you ever had was that they put them on your pillow and didn't turn them inside out. Right. So that the soiled side was facing your face. Go ahead. I'm no, sorry but, to interrupt. But the whole point is that if you say, this is how I feel when this happens. The other person can't argue with that because it's true. Yes, it's it's unfalsifiable. So if you start with that, then from there you can maybe go f- somewhere. Whereas if you say, "You never do this when you never put the seat down or whatever," that sort yeah. of thing, where right. the other person well, can be like, "One time I did." That's not true. So that's not true. A long time in the, you know, in the future, man. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, anyway, that was and and I remember when, when I went to that class in, in high school, and I thought this is the stupidest fucking thing, but. Like every single time in high school when I had that thought, as an adult, I think everyone should be taught this. Yeah. Like when I was, yeah, so many things that I was taught in high school, I don't know, Greek mythology or whatever, when I thought this is stupid, why would anyone ever need this? And then it turns out it's like everywhere. You do need Greek mythology because you yourself are somewhat of a god in certain circles, I would imagine. I know. So I need to. You're attracting 1,400 people at an event in Croatia right. on the seashore. I'm sure that it was about you rather than the after parties. Of course it was. Of course it was. I look. I was on the second day. The people that really wanted to be there after the first after party uh, made the effort. So well, yeah. eleven o'clock in an opening is quite as you had said. When I would prepare for speeches, I learned over the years after doing it for decades was that rather than have detailed notes on subject matter that I was in fact quite familiar with, I would just write five words on a piece of paper and know where those thoughts, those concepts that are in those words would take me. And perhaps under one or two of them, a couple of subpoints. But if I was stuck on something, I would use a big newsprint, they call it, for the big uh, easel with the big print on it. And I'd use magic markers and I'd write the, the questions that I had or the quandary, right. whatever, or outline with question marks, whatever. And before I went to sleep, I'd tape it on my walls. And invariably, when I woke up several hours before the event, all the questions I'd were work, answered. I'd work through the issue in my sleep and would be able then to produce what I needed to get through it, but not to stress about that. There you go. To know that if it wasn't clear the night before, there's still the morning of. But it's a lot of fun to move around up on, on stage and to 
know that people are listening to you and see their nodding heads. And I'm nodding heads is the most important thing. Like, I, ever since I've been a speaker, I always try to go to the talks of other speakers and sit in the front row and fucking nod. Because that means the world. In this particular case, I couldn't see the audience well enough to see the nodding, but really important. You felt the nodding, like a wave of heads moving in the same direction. I did, I did have a couple of, I think, we'll see when we get the video back, but I think I said, good morning, everyone, and didn't hear it back. And then, and then I said, no, good morning, everyone. And then I heard something, yeah, did a little bit of that. But I try and do the least amount of audience interaction. There's a bunch of people that are like, okay, raise your hands if you've ever used Oracle, whatever database, and people raise their hands. But that's ruining like the real audience when you're a tech speaker, at least, I don't know about your speaking career, but as a tech speaker, my real audience is the people watching on YouTube, right? No. The people in front of me are not my, are not really my audience. And that, that sounds denigrating to them, though. I don't think you mean it that way at all. You're just saying that they're not your only audience. They are your preliminary audience. Secondary. They're yeah. a meaningful audience, to say the least, but they're not the end-all and be-all because you've got a larger expectation of your audience. They're the core of your audience to be extended, perhaps. You can't argue with the fact that if you're doing something live, the people who are there live are core to the presentation. Their You've reaction got to your presentation is going to affect the way you feel about having that presented to your larger audience. Yes, yes, yes. You've, you've nailed, That's why you've you're nailed taking it. Care. That's why you're taking care to understand your audience and try to go in such a direction that you feel like you have them and they are perceptibly or imperceptibly nodding their head except for the few that have their legs out and their head back and their hands clasped behind their neck when i would do audiences of 50 60 people and there were people like that and as i spoke with my lavalier mic on i would walk up the aisle and stand next to the person wow, who looked like that and talk to the rest of the people and there was no way that that wouldn't end up changing the physical demeanor of the person who now because they were looking at me they were looking at him so he would sit up in his chair then i would wander back to the front and that is when i would end a particular segment and ask him what he thought because when he was leaning backwards he would not speak his that was his signal but when he moved forward he actually was assenting to the fact that he was involved and therefore when i went to the front he was involved and invariably he will speak, and depending on his degree of control, he, it's usually he, but it's a he or she, would be able to say, I learned what you're saying, and so far it sounds like bullshit. And, I, and if it was particularly offensive, where he would say, you sound like a bullshitter, something more to that tune, I would say, this is, I said, this is amazing. Here you are, and you already don't like me. It usually takes people two or three times to meet me before they're certain <laughs> they don't like me. Nice. And that makes everybody laugh, usually right. including that person. Right. Maybe not. Maybe they're more, maybe that, maybe they feel the laughter is somehow diminishing them or meant to ridicule them. But they will, in, even in, in a, a theater audience of 150, that person, that's pretty, even if there's a balcony, 150, 300 people is pretty close. And you could see the body language from there. And, and some guy's agitated, sitting in a seat, moving back and forth, constantly saying something to the person next to him. And, and it's, it's not positive. And you just point to them and you say, you have a lot to share. I want to hear it. And that person would variably say, blah, 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 aggressive. And I would say, wow, that's, you know, what a great question. That's ex There's a lot of people who feel that way right now. Let me try to respond. Boom, boom, boom. One time, exactly. the guy who was agitated, sitting in the audience, talking to the other guy, 
he didn't know that in the bathroom before I spoke that I was the speaker. And as he was pissing in the stand-up urinal next to me, I said to him, how you doing? Yeah, you have a pretty good you, you know, pissing, whatever. And I said, so what percentage of your caseload do you think that if you had more resources and services, you could, they would succeed? Your urinal, yes. And he said, I don't know, 10, 15%. I said, wow, that's a lot. And then when I went to speak, I pointed to him and said, so I want you to you mark. And then he did. And I said, well, as you said earlier, 10 to 15%. That's twice as much as we think is possible statewide, twice as much. We're only looking for a 6% decrease in the, in the rate, that we, in, the, in the prison rate. And so, I've, and so anyway. I have two things to say. Uh, first, that you're absolutely right on calling me out on saying that the physical audience present is not important because it for sure is because I have given online talks where I am standing in my office giving a talk and it's being broadcast. And that is not the same at all. Yeah. Because you don't get the energy of people watching you or responding to you. Right. Um, also physical because in the... And also you don't have this fucking spotlights on you, which is... The non-virtual setting is, right. is pretty adrenaline uh, producing. And that Correct. adrenaline that you feel is exuded. Yes. And in your style, in your, in your particular mannerisms of engagement, people feel that. And, uh, What's up, Croatia? I said, <laughs> who was at the after party last night in room yeah. 632? <laughs> I left half my brain there, so maybe you did, but try to follow me. No, but the other thing, you talk about urinals. I don't know if this was just because we were in like a basketball uh -huh. stadium, but the urinals in Croatia are really high. Like, I'm tall enough, but some of my fellow speakers were struggling to like pee into Reach the urinal. It? Because the urinal was so fucking high. It's, it's way higher than it should be. Like, uh, Well, you, you should know. Were the Croatians there? Didn't you party with Croatians? So, the unlike all the other conferences that I've been to, normally you give a talk, and then after your talk, the attendees come up to you. Like Some of the conferences that I've been to, after your talk, they send you to a special like speaker question zone where you're standing in a corner for 30 minutes, and uh, attendees are encouraged to come up and ask questions or whatever. But this conference didn't have that. But no one of the none of the attendees ever approached me. It was all very, I don't know if it's like Balkans pride or uh, shame thing. But and this was true of for all the speakers. All the speakers reported that none of the attendees ever came up to ask them questions, which huh. is super weird. Like normally, like that's one of the nice things about doing these conferences is that then, you know, your audience comes, comes up to you. Crowding the podium afterwards and patiently waiting and moving through them. And then you're familiar with the old. This is more of a comment than a question scenario. We're like, okay, but take the microphone away from this person. Is there a question in there somewhere? I, I just think that you're wrong with everything. What I do when they start to make a statement is that I will, when it gets to the point where it's it's really getting too long, interrupt and say, I hate to interrupt you, but I will. It seems to me that maybe your question is whether or not what I'm saying is true, because in your experience, it's not. We're just framing the statement he made, which, well, what is your intention of making the statement? What you're making the statement is that I'm, I'm misunderstanding the dynamic or maybe I'm nailing the dynamic for that matter, right? Or whatever. But there, to understand that people come to these events to speak, not just to listen, but to speak. If you give them that moment, which you can't let go too long, if you give them that moment, it can be rewarded with people who are making statements, then asking, right. you know, in my experience, boom, 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 so here's my question to you, boom, boom, boom. That's very, very helpful. That's more helpful than me talking about that kind of thing. 
as a as an experience I've had. Right. Much better that you bring someone someone into it. But when you're in a stadium, 1,100, 1,600 people, is that what it was? More or less, yeah. That's enormous. You can't. Make no, no, no. There was no question answer uh, thing no. at the stage. It was no. always going to be find me later. Well, but then people come up to you at the. That's the no, that's the thing. Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. But like, this happened to all the speakers, even the people more famous than I am, that if I were an attendee, I would certainly go up and talk to, to be like, hey, fan of your work. Like, I've had other... Did they want to get to the beer? I guess. I've had other conferences where people come up to me and ask for selfies to show their teammates that well, they met me. It, it could be in a conference that size that every single person thought that with a conference that size, there would be so many people surrounding you that it wouldn't be, uh, they wouldn't want to wait. No. If, if The people in the front would be the people that would come and... The visuals. Yeah. Anyway. The people in the front are sitting in the front for a reason, and unlike the people in the back, they're actually seeing your physical and perceptual characteristics much better than anybody else, so they're more intimate, which would mean that there's likely a, a better chance of some... The people behind me had such a great view of my oh, backside. Yeah, the back of, of the back of your head. Did you cut your hair a particular way to, like, thumbs up in the back of your head? Yes, of course. Don't we all? Oh, it goes without saying. Who wouldn't? We need to talk sometime about Eden, this uh, Australian oh. TV show, but I don't know that we have time tonight. And what was, what was the other... But I had Leticia. A... You weren't able to get Leticia? I have not found that yet, but I wanted to I wanted to end us out tonight with a brief reading that I just found on Twitter of a book by Norm Macdonald, who has just just passed, and the the author the tweet author said that he reviewed this book, and when he reviewed it many years ago, he said this would make for a fine eulogy. So I just want to read a couple words from Norm. If that's okay. Sure. So he says, "There is the way things are and the way things appear." And it is the way things appear, even when false, that is often the truest. If I'm remembered, it will always be for the four years I spent on Saturday Night Live. And maybe even more than that, by the events surrounding my departure from that show. As long as SNL exists, then so do I. When people come to see me do stand-up, it is because somewhere in their memory I live on SNL, dressed as a young Burt Reynolds, insisting that Alex Trebek refer to me as Turd Ferguson. And they come to see me, and I'm old and fat, and I don't mention SNL, and I do my entering machine joke, and they are happily disappointed. After the show, they stand beside me and take pictures, the way you would with a donkey on the side of the road. They tell me that they're big fans and they don't care what their girlfriends say. They understand me, even though they know good and well that nobody else does. I am dry, they say, and next time I come to their town, they don't show up. It can be difficult to define yourself by something that happened so long ago and is for gone forever. It is like a fellow at the end of the bar telling no one in particular about the silver medal that he won in high school track, the one that he still wears around his neck. The only thing an old man can tell a young man is that it goes real fast, real fast. And if you're not careful, it's too late. Of course, the young man will never understand this truth. But looking back now, I can see that my life since SNL has been a full sprint, trying with all my might to outrun the wolves of irrelevancy, snapping at my heels. And it's, we could we settle for that pronunciation. Irrelevancy. Trying to outrun the wolves of irre irrelevancy. Snapping at my heels. But it has all been in vain, of course, as they caught me and devoured me years ago. But not completely. Lauren would see to that. My foot would still make a vague imprint. Myself would still cast a faint shadow. And years later, I would write a book. And not only write it, but be in it as well. I think a lot of people feel sorry for you if you were on SNL and emerged from the show anything less than a superstar. They assume you must be bitter. But it's impossible for me to be bitter. I have been lucky. If I had to sum up my whole life, I guess those are the words I would choose all right. When I was a boy, I, would sh I was sure I would never make it past Moose Creek, Ontario, Canada. But I've been all over this world, except for Europe, Asia, Australia, Africa, and South America. Oh, and Arctica. 
split. That's really splitting hairs. How many people have ever been to Antarctica? But I've never expected to be any more than a common laborer, and I would have considered myself lucky to have achieved that. But I was blessed with so much more. I'm a stand-up comedian, and I have been for over a quarter of a century. I've performed thousands of hours from a small club in Ottawa, Ontario, all the way to a small club in Edmonton, Alberta. Sometimes I get big laughs, and I think I'm the best stand-up in the whole world. Other times I bomb, and I think I'm not even in the top five. Before I was famous, I had a whole bunch of jobs where I, all I needed was boots. People would look right past me, or if they did look at me, it was with a mean look. But when I got famous, people would look at me with a smile and wonder where they knew me from. If they flat out recognized me, they'd laugh and dance like they won a prize. And I'd just stand there and smile and feel warmth from their love. So fame made the world, which was a real cold place, a little less cold. As for my gambling, it's true I lost it all a few times. But that's because I always took the long shot and it never came in. But I still have some time before I cross that river. And if you are at the table and you're rolling them bones, then there's no money in playing it safe. You have to take out all your chips and put them on double six and watch as every eye goes to you and then to close the red dice doing their wild dance and freezing time before finding a cruel green felt. I've been lucky. Alright, that's it. So Wow. What a sixty one years old, man. And raise a bottle to Norm Down. Wow. And hiding like keeping his nine years of cancer a secret. Wow. Like that's the I way I would do it. Recently, and thought that he looked physically challenged within the past couple of years. I don't know, but he was hilarious. He was so fucking dry. Acerbic. Oh God. Acerbic. Yes. yes. And he, when he was on Conan O'Brien all the time, he would interrupt the interviews that Conan was having, and there was a interview of a woman who was a star from Melrose Place, kind of a primetime soap opera that was sure. a very famous gorgeous uh, actress and she would quit and she said she just had enough of it or whatever <laughs> that all the ups and downs of the character divorces murders someone she was talking to on the phone committed suicide while they were on the phone blew their head off it's so emotional it's just too much I had to get out and what are you doing now and she said she's going to make a movie and who's in the movie and it's Carrot Top and Burt Reynolds. Norm MacDonald inter interrupts and says, wait a minute, you left a successful series to do a movie with Carrot Top? What's it called? One, one Road to Hell to Financial Ruin with Carrot? And just blew it up. The, the movie made like $180,000 and took sure. $16 million to make it. Right. And that, and it was just hilarious. Just yeah. hilarious. Oh, Lord. Here's to you, brother. It's good to catch up. Listen, there was some other... Oh, oh, Eden. Eden. We're going to get back to Eden. So we're at episode... How far did you get with Eden? Two. Oh, then let me tell you this about Eden. We talk about Eden after you're done with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it feels like it's going places. It's, yeah. We'll leave it at that. Love you, man. All right. See you all next week. All right, that does it for episode number 126. You can find the show notes at happyhour.fm slash 126. You can help support the show at patreon.com slash happyhour. And turns out I actually do have COVID, so we're going to talk about that next week on this fantastic show. We'll see you next week.